I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. Hello, hello. This is Leaving Hill Song. My name's Tanya and I'm so happy that you are joining us today for this conversation. And we've got individual conversations, but we're really building a, just a huge international ongoing conversation. And that's what's so interesting about today's episode is that Michael Bones, who we'll be talking with today, has a lot of very different views on how to move forward with criticisms of churches and bad experiences. And he's got his own story to share, but he's also got a lot of philosophies about what we can do practically on an individual level and on a community level to actually address the issues that that Hillsong are addressing that churches and and places of faith do address. And it's a really interesting conversation. Michael's a law graduate, he's a climate change activist, and he's also a musician, he writes songs, he plays in several instruments, and yeah, he's based in Canberra now. He grew up in country New South Wales in Australia, and I think you'll find it really interesting, again, the variety of people sharing their experiences from all different backgrounds. So let's begin the conversation with Reverend Bones in the baby or the bathwater. So you're a lawyer based in Canberra now. Oh, <laughs> I'm a no. person with a law degree that uh, does not practice law. <laughs> yeah. I studied law because I was interested in how society works. And then I realised there were a lot, a lot of other drivers outside of the law, and also that uh, my disposition was such that extreme attention to legal detail was something that would probably drive me barmy. Okay, so, you're a country boy by birth, yes? Yeah, yeah, by birth. So I grew up in um, central western New South Wales, mm. a little town called Dubbo. Oh, no, Dubbo. Yeah, so it was a really great place to grow up, actually. Even though it was small, there was, you know, strong community there. And, yeah, I suppose church was quite a big part of that. And that was, you know, the first 19 years of my and a half years of my life was uh, was spent primarily there uh, on Wiradjuri country. Okay. And that's through family, yeah? You were involved in church. Yeah, so mum and dad, both pretty devout Pentecostal Christians. Mum, more interested in the esoteric, what I would now call woo-woo side of faith, mm-hmm. end times, 
sort of apocalyptic thinking was featured quite strongly in her worldview, uh, as well as like there was quite an emphasis on gifts of the spirit. And my dad was a little bit more of a critical thinker, but still took and still takes it all very seriously. Yeah. So for both of them, it's been a little bit of a challenge having me start to speak out against aspects of faith traditions that I find troubling and concerning and think need to be reformed. But at the outset, uh, I just want to establish that it's not like an attack on them or on any person of faith. It's really my observations having grown up in a community, when a culture, and some of it's really good and some of it's total. <laughs> See, I'm wondering what that was like for you as a young man growing up in country Australia, which is so tough. For you. It's got this reputation of it being so tough. And what was that like as a, a young Christian growing up in that environment? Look, I I took to it hook, line and sinker. So I felt very much at home in church. So again, it, it was only really later that it became problematic for me in my sort of early 20s. Although I did have, quote unquote, crises of faith whilst growing up mm-hmm. where you know, the ideas in the Bible that I took so seriously, you know, I, you experience cognitive dissonance where stuff doesn't make sense and uh, that's unpleasant. But then you also have a community there which comes around you and keeps you in by various interventions. And uh, I mean, there's, there's lots of layers to it, right? So, you know, having a community where you feel like you belong where you can hang out with people across generations. That's something that's really great about faith communities, a place where you can serve and actually learn skills. So for me, I played music in the band. So from the age of like 13 to 17, 18, I started playing piano first and then guitar and then ended up playing guitar in the church band. And that I think was one of the things that helped me become a really good musician because we would go with the flow, try to think about atmospherics and, you know, whether the Holy Spirit was going to come today and it was going to be a big one or not was always like basically are people enjoying it or not. In hindsight, shaming around sexuality, purity culture, sexual purity, you know, for me it was also I went to a Christian school except for three and a half years where I was homeschooled under the ACE, the Australian Christian Education. In all these environments, it's right. It's like Christ in every classroom and learning in truth being like Bible-based and Christ-centred. And so 40% of schools in Australia are private and 99% of private schools are religious. And those religious schools, like the one I grew up in, again, great in many ways, but you know, we had just terrible lessons around body shaming, very strict patriarchal ideas of what men and women are meant to do. I'm 34 now, so I don't know whether that is still happening. I suspect it is because a lot of the same people are running the show. And from the church context, you go to Jesus camp and again, you know, people will take groups of small people and whip you up in a frenzy, make you, you know, like the, the idea of original sin, like you're born guilty and wrong and faulty, something wrong with you. So we're going to make you feel all these negative emotions and then give you an escape hatch to fall into with Christ. And so in hindsight, those things are really problematic, but I understand more now of the psychology behind it, why it's powerful and why, you know, it it gets people in altered states. But, yeah, that then also means when you do grow up and believe and start to really grapple with questions of meaning and existence and purpose of your life and, and then the answers you've had, the myths you've held end up falling apart, that meaning crisis becomes... It's pretty challenging. So for me, it led to suicidal ideation. It led to a real, real like a a mission to reattach my sense of meaning because Mm -hmm. you know my whole life I'd grown up to 
understand my experience of the world as being making sense in and through the concept of God. So I can't remember who said this, but uh, it was like, when you undo Christianity, it's, it's not like you're just removing your belief. It's like the whole house of cards falls apart. And so thus began sort of for me the, a process of what I now call worldview building. Right. Um, and that's and, it's so interesting. A friend of mine said to me, and he also went through the ACE stuff as well, and he said, do you know that other people don't have a worldview? <laughs> they just go through life. like." <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah, it's interesting. I think we, we all will have concepts that we use to order our experience and whether whether we're aware of them or not. When you had more minor crises you described as a, did, did you share that with anybody? I mean, did that lead to, were they cumulative or separate or what do you think? Like what happens in your 20s that makes that different again? You know, uh, it was about 15 when this guy, Michael Petra, was coming to Australia, but Pentecostal US preacher. Okay. And I'd been listening to his tapes. Uh, it was all apocalyptic end time stuff that mum was into. You know, I was uh, devouring this guy's theology and I felt like God was telling me that I needed to go. The problem was my cousin was getting married on the same weekend. There was a verse, I can't remember where it is, where, you know, Jesus says, unless you hate your mother and father and brother and sister and turn and follow me, then you're not worthy. And so that verse was in my head. And so I thought, no, I need to go do this. And then I went to the conference and I got kind of swept up in it. And then yeah, he was talking about oh God's manifesting gold dust here and blah 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 the spirit. But also go buy my CDs and my books up the back and there's gonna be all this more revelation and stuff. And so then I was like, oh later on, like I my cousin came to pick me up with my dad, because it wasn't actually that far away from where the wedding was. And then I just felt gross. I felt like I knew I'd made the wrong choice but I'd been able to justify it with the Bible. And then I was like, this is wrong. I've done something wrong. And I I was mistaken about it. It kind of shows you how fundamentalism works, right? Like, like it was, I was basically being radicalized before social media made it really easy, getting swept into this echo chamber where it was like, the end times are coming and Jesus is coming back. You know, got to save people's souls because the planet's going to be done away with. You know, the pastors were called and they came and sat in the interventions and I ended up going back to church and settled down a little bit, kind of parked it and reaffirmed the faith and got re-baptised and stuff later and fast forward to uni. And I think basically when you're like my social circle was dominated by church, I went to a couple of churches when I moved to Canberra for study. And then again, I just noticed like the sermons were making me feel bad like negative I was having some sort of bodily like repulsion to being told I was a sinner and then also at the same time I was meeting all these people the worldly people who had been told to were evil basically yeah and people were great people who had no belief in God were more generous and more kind and more thoughtful and motivated to like do things practically to help the world and other people ensure they drink and, you know, have sex and whatever. But I could see there was a different sort of morality at play as well that I found more inspiring. And I wasn't judged negatively for being Christian virgin, but mm-hmm. it was certainly I was a fish out of water. And there was this girl that I would kind of fallen for and was really like just trying to figure that out. I basically realised that I'd been set up to fail in life i had some real, some programming in my mind that was very unhelpful for navigating the world and also i'd been studying philosophy and you know thing and interrogating my beliefs the will Nietzsche talks about the will to truth leading you away from god and that was it for me i wanted truth and that was pointing me away from the bible and away from faith away from the tradition in which i was raised but it still meant so much to me that the process of undoing that was like long. And so I was like, I'm an atheist. And then I kind of, my system shut down and I had to wind that back to agnostic so I could like get through the day and slowly rebuild 
how I thought about the world and my place in it. And then other, you know, adventures began. <laughs> By the time of my 21st birthday party, I remember this guy that I went to school with who I was like, a, I was a goody two-shoes. He came up to me on my 21st party. He'd, he'd had a conversion moment to Christ because of my example in school. And it was just when I basically deconstructed and accepted that I wasn't a Christian anymore. So that was really hard. But I've had people burst into tears when they discover I'm not a Christian anymore. Okay. Found some some letters when I was going through that process from this girl at one of the churches here in Canberra. It just reminded me how intense it was to try to untangle myself from it and to be like, Mm. to go out with your head held high and be like, I'm not leaving because I'm backsliding or I'm I'm, like, this is a principled exit. Yes. And, And it took me a couple of years to find the language for it. But I'm like, leaving is moral. For a long time, that you, you get guilt tripped into staying. Some churches, anyway, are high belief control organisations. Yeah. So anyway, you're you're either in or you're out, and so people fight really hard to try to keep you in. But then once you once you're out, that's that's it. And so it can be hard to maintain relationships. Yeah. But you know, also it can feel big and hard like that. But it's often just because you're sorting through your own religious trauma from the discomfort of having your entire system of belief collapse. <laughs> get a lot of this mail about throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So, you know, mm. you sure you didn't just have a negative experience with some negative people? And so it's not just the, the fakery of Pentecostalism that has um, distracted you. The pendulum swung very hard in the other direction. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. For me, I became a materialist, which is the philosophical yeah. term. Yeah. Where because, and I think because I had such a, like, it's magical thinking. There's this spirit world and God can talk to you and the Holy Spirit whispers in your ear. It's like magical thinking. And then my embarrassment at just how, like, I got into law school while believing the earth was 6,000 years old. So it's like I wasn't dumb, but I was indoctrinated. A lot of Westboro Baptists are all lawyers by trade. This is this is what people don't realise is that it's actually got nothing to do with intelligence, really. You can have very smart doctors and lawyers and whatever who are people of faith, people who can have like quite a healthy sense of spirituality through which Christianity is their vehicle for that. But indoctrination is not necessarily something to do with like intelligence. Yeah, I just didn't want those people to tell me what to do in my life. So <laughs> I yeah. realised I was in charge and Excellent. that there were, yeah, again, for me, principal problems with it. And then while I was studying law as well, one of the things I did was work as a paralegal on a bunch of historical sexual abuse claims from people who'd been harmed by religious people or institutions the worst offenders are faith communities in Australia, historically. They are not beacons of morality. And the fact that they still kind of parade in that way gets my goat. (laughs) And in that 40% of Australian schools, if a teacher is gay, there's like a guillotine hanging over their heads currently 
because you can get fired based on like religious exemptions. While accepting the government funding. And while being a person of faith and that discrimination is legal. And I don't think enough people realise that. Cake eating and having as well. Taking Mm. funding that would in any other situation be a breach of funding because of discrimination, because of actual legislation, yeah. I also think, you know, it's any time you're just bringing that many people together, things that are bad are going to happen. But the difference is, like, how you deal with that and when you've got this culture of, like, personality worship and, you know, like the Catholic Church, move them along. Yeah. From everything I've been hearing, Hillsong's doing the exact same thing. Again, it's human institutions. These, like, churches, the big ones anyway, are tax-exempt businesses. There's some roles that they play that I think are positive, but I reckon most people go there in spite of Jesus, not because of Jesus, and they're looking for community, they're looking for a sense of belonging, they're looking for someone to help them connect with a personal purpose, like Viktor Frankl in Man's Search for Meaning mm-hmm. talks about you know, he survived Auschwitz. It actually doesn't matter what your purpose is, just as long as you have one, <laughs> anything where you can get that is going to be attractive to people. And it's just, you know, churches have, and particularly, you know, the Pentecostal faith, they've got their marketing down, they've got their messaging down, they've got their community building down, and, you know, they're not afraid to say, give me your money. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) far from it. Tell me, how did your family go with it when you outed yourself to them? And it is an outing, isn't it, coming out as a non-believer to a believing family? Yeah. Oh, man, it was not pleasant for mm, a long time. Okay. A long time. Yeah. So. And now things are okay? I mean, what? Yeah. I never felt like my parents didn't love me, but you know it's hard because they're thinking oh no my son's going to hell now so like I understand this again how the belief structure that they have makes it really upsetting for me not to believe the same thing and you know it took me far too long to realize that you know because then I would try to deconvert them with my newfound rationalism and all the fancy new things I was learning at uni and reading in philosophy books and studying in science, all that stuff, which just like bounces off a brick wall basically, because when your identity is wrapped up in something and for many people, faith is like a deeply held identity. Whenever you experience any cognitive dissonance, the easiest thing to do is to reject the information rather than change your own internal belief system. And so, you know, that's, was something that just caused a lot of tension and like basically I still like you know mum will still try to reconvert me or you know they'll say that they're praying for me and da 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 and it's like that used to get make me really upset because I was dealing with like trauma from the experience as I've kind of accepted things and grown I've understood more that I don't need to be offended by that and it doesn't bother me and I can just reframe the conversation and say thanks I know what you mean when you say that Mm. John Steingard is I don't know if you know him but he's an American or Canadian now living in America who only relatively recently started speaking out about his deconversion deconstruction experience he had a very useful phrase which for, for dealing with his parents his dad's a pastor which was just like right now I need you to be my dad or my mom not not my minister. I think that's a really elegant way of kind of saying, hey, like we're family first and all this other stuff is second. I used it and it, and it, it, it worked well. So, you know, when things were getting a bit heated, it's like, I love you. I know you love me. I'm not trying to change your mind. You shouldn't really be trying to change mine. And right now in this moment, I'm just looking for you to be my parent, not my preacher. You've felt so strongly about these things that you've gone out and started organising in tangible ways for change. I've got got a lot to be grateful for. I managed to find a really wonderful group of friends. I managed to 
learn to love and to lose it and to have big overseas adventures and to come face to face with my own mortality and my own weakness, but also through that my own strength to overcome. Manage to, I think, you know, like contribute to society in some positive ways. My sort of day job is in climate campaigning and sort of climate activism. So I was very lucky to spend five years in this great company that was sort of moving money out of fossil fuels. I've been playing music and started, well, I've got an album coming out that I've been recording over many years, which is called Escape from Heaven. And so I put some songs out, one of them, Tycoon, it was sort of references and inspires that story from when I was 15 and that realisation that, you know, that people of faith, (laughs) you know, they're the same, you know. So the chorus to know some, I'm a tycoon baby, just in it for the money, the sex and the power. Part of what I'm attempting and have attempted to do over like five years is just think about like me 12 years ago, right, mm. when I was hitting the wall because of the harsh reality of trying to figure out a meaning to life outside of God was sort of struggling with substance abuse and suicidal ideation and not understanding my mind. Like I I think about like, well, what would I have needed then? And, you know, a lot of that stuff is starting to happen now. Like people are talking about their experiences, giving voice to the stories, coming from a legal background and also having worked in like a startup and also in non-profits and activism or in that sense people like us of which there are many do need to start organizing and voice our experiences and put that like at the end of the day into policy recommendations that can help religion not hurt so many people when a campaign earlier this year called religion shouldn't hurt kicked off in the states that campaign was really just like film a short video talking about an experience and why you stand with others and say that religion shouldn't hurt. Like I hadn't really spoken up publicly about this stuff much before. It's not about being anti-religion. Like people should be free to believe and great. If it brings you happiness and joy, awesome. But religion shouldn't hurt. And the fact is there's a whole bunch of people who are saying, hey, this thing that happened was harmful here's how, here's why, here's how you might do it differently. And whether that's people losing their jobs or whether that's really enforcing patriarchal structures and telling women that they need to submit to the man of the household, which then leads people being stuck in domestic violence situations or whether it's sexual shaming of young kids. There's plenty of ways where there can be improvement. And there are also a lot of people who do still have a faith who are also wanting reform, you know, in, even in terms of the way mental health is dealt with, right? So, like, when I was growing up, mostly it was sort of interpreted as, like, a demonic affliction. You, you just pray more. And, you know, and then if you were going to go see anyone, well, they'd be related to the church. And so you wouldn't actually get, like, an independent professional experience. The government in Australia outsources so much social services through religious run institutions you've got chaplaincy programs where chaplains are going in and you know even though they're not supposed to they're using their influence with young people to recruit them into their youth groups how can people be involved in find religion shouldn't hurt Uh, we've got a website rsh.org you I think it's still connected to the American one. So we've got to get a little hustle on to and whatnot. But uh, the other thing, I mean, if people are listening to this and are interested in getting involved, yeah, like reach out to me as well. So where will they find you? I somewhat ironically call myself Reverend Bones. Um, <laughs> that's the name I decided to release music under, partly as a tip of the hat to Father John Misty, but also partly a like middle finger to the experience people want to 
Look me up, find me. You can, yeah, I'd love to have a chat. I mean, is there anything you want to say to people who are on those fringes of not sure? I'm in this church. This is my family. This is my world. Depending on where, you know, where you're at, right? So the process that is, you know, people are calling deconstruction or deconversion, right, is healthy. It's really, really good for us to think deeply about what we believe and why and for us to investigate truth and how to find truth. Now, it turns out there's a few different methods for doing that. One is relying on a single book. The other is being more open-minded to evidence and different ways of coming to knowledge. But then it can be hard for people to know what to trust when you've been indoctrinated. So I guess maybe that's a good place to start is like, well, what is indoctrination? Research, that sort of stuff. Have a look at what high belief control groups are like, where it's hard to challenge authority and be sceptical and follow, follow your snout. Fear of loss, and this is, this is just a psychological reality, mm-hmm. fear of loss is a greater motivator than the opportunity of reward. So what that might mean for some people is I'm so scared of losing my friends here or I'm so worried about being judged that I won't follow that inner voice or that call of like something's not right and I need to challenge that or speak up or whatever. If you're feeling led out or if you're feeling like things aren't going how you would like, you should feel like you have the opportunity to speak up about those things and to leave Maybe one other bit of advice that's not something that I found really helpful and it took me over a decade to even try it is mindfulness or meditation. The reason why I wasn't into it at all for a very long time is because for me, I thought it was like spiritual woo-woo. I didn't want anything to do with it. You need to have no belief in any sort of quote-unquote spiritual afterlife, other spirit, whatever, like none of that matters. What it is, is a way of exercising your mind and your attention and noticing your emotions and creating some distance from your thoughts. So, for example, if you're someone who has fear of hell or if you're someone who is stressed about whether God might still exist, developing like 10 minutes a day of just sitting still and the only thing that you have to do is try to follow your breath in and then out. You just... Do that over and over again for like 10 minutes and see what happens. It's pretty powerful when you stack it up over years. I feel like particularly if you're Pentecostal, right? Any inner voice, you're going to be trained to think that like you're trying to hear the voice of God or pray for someone or, and then if it does work or if it doesn't work, oh, did I hear God's voice? Did I not? Like, It's you. It's your voice, right? It's your inner voice, your conscience, your mind speaking, which is a thought running through your mind. So, for example, one of my big issues, you know, there's the verse to think a thing is as bad as doing a thing, right? And so there's this thought policing. I shouldn't have thought that. I'm a bad person. No, you're not. It's just a thought. You allow it to come and go. Thoughts arise and fall away like all experience does. And that's going to sound esoteric until you sit still and quietly and practice just following your breath and then noticing what your mind does, which is spit out words, oftentimes very judgmental words about yourself, worry, anxiety, all these things. It's work on yourself. It's a very powerful way to undo some of those thought patterns that have been developed if, if you've had sort of a troubling experience, it is something I'm quite passionate about because yeah, all of those heightened states of emotion in churches, I wonder what the impact is on breathing, breathing being so important now that we realise I want, do you know what I mean? People would have had all kinds of hyped up states of breathing and maybe mindfulness is the very best thing. There's a really great book by a guy called Jamie Wheel, who's a neuroanthropologist, meaning he studies the mind and human society. And it's called Recapture the Rapture. Okay. Um, 
rethinking God, sex and death in a world that's lost its mind. So he sort of talks about the meaning crisis and meaning 1.0 as being religion, meaning 2.0 as being the enlightenment, the scientific, scientific rationalism, and how both of those have sort of broken down. And there's this middle land where people are kind of going a bit crazy because all these old systems of making sense of the world and connecting with each other are kind of disintegrating. I've kind of traveled that path of religion being everything and then disappearing and then rationalism and science and that being super important, but then it's still not answering other questions or you know how to live a good life necessarily jamie was talking about meaning 3.0 as being something that kind of blends from both traditions but that is centered on you know delivering that community that connection the catharsis that can come from having a place to grieve to celebrate to mark life things you know that's super important and we don't have that that's the thing is like religions deliver that secular institutions don't really we all then talk about the practices that we can do as people that deliver that sense of meaning and purpose that connection to others that process and inspiration and it's um things like breathing being super important singing music movement together sex is another one that he talks about and then He talks about drugs too or altered states. But basically, so when you're in a crowd of people and the music's going, that's an inspiring thing, right? And so that's why music is such a big focus of Pentecostal churches. When you lift your hands, so even putting your hands up left and right, that's a power pose, which when people, when you're nervous about giving a speech, strike a power pose like that victory, yes, I've won. And that helps upregulate your system to feel more confident. So when people are lifting their hands, they're striking an open, strong power pose. When you're speaking in tongues, you know, shananana or whatever, that's kind of like a mantra, which experienced meditators will will repeat a tone to get into a trance-like state to then just be making sounds so that it relaxes the mind so that the mind can sort of like free associate layer all that up with like sound and lights and then this powerful ancient story that puts you and your life into extreme significance and then you're hugging people it's basically helping get you high without drugs for sure which i think there's absolutely nothing wrong having music movement like breathing all this stuff but the, the problem is it there's then this pivot of like oh, that's the voice of God. And so now like, yeah, you've had this great experience. That's Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit. It's like, no, it's not. It's And, and some people don't have that as well. So some people struggle to connect in that context because, you know, some people don't get chills down the spine. When yeah, yeah. I, you know, again, I wonder how much consent is involved in all of those practices as well. So strobe lights and musical nuances that I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> You know, again, Hillsong makes no apology for the fact that they want music to be exceptional because it's the thing that will, like, bring people in and touch people's hearts. It makes me think of Elaine Debuton's book, Both Religion for Atheists and Art as Therapy, pulling at this thread of religion gives people things that secular society isn't and we should learn from that and attempt to... I think that throwing out the baby with the bathwater thing is like reverse works in the opposite way than some people think, which is like some of the practices and the rituals and all this stuff is really great. And that I think is the baby, not the bathwater. I think belief in God and an afterlife and all that stuff is the bath is the bathwater. Um, I love that. I love that. Yeah. I love that. So right. mm, the yeah, the therapy, the com- communitas, right? The like being with others and I don't know about you but like COVID lockdown has super heightened to me the the desire to be with people (laughs) and my friends and to have high death in real life experience. Communities can pull together in a crisis but we haven't been able to be together 
In all honesty, Tanya, that's like there's only so long that we can point the finger and point out the inadequacies of Hillsong and, you know, these belief systems and these structures. Like I think it's absolutely critical that that happens, but I think there's a bigger game at play as well, which is like how do we deliver what they're delivering or that opportunity to be together, to belong, to, to have that sense of community like can that exist in a way that is as culturally and um, socially and personally empowering without the rest of the bullshit I, I still don't know I suspect the answer is yes and that we, we just haven't figured it out yet like the Sunday assembly which started in the UK by a couple of comedians is basically secular church they follow a pretty similar format. They just sub out the different content. But they've been going for about eight years. Hi. There's been thousands of, like, chapters that start up and, you know, like churches, some will start, some will fail because it's hard. Like, it's hard to, there is something motivating about believing that having that central text, having that, you know, fear of hell, whatever the, oh, the character. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm wondering the thing to you whether, you know, if you can, ever replace those kind of fears that go beyond the grave and hopes that go beyond the grave as well. Well, I think this is where like death is facing us all regardless. And so there's different ways to prepare for that. And having a belief in a God is that, you know, that you're going to, everything's going to be hunky-dory on the other side is like quite a nice idea. So there's been a study on health benefits of going along. One of the defences that religious people have is like, oh, but like being a person of faith is actually good for your health. It makes you, if you're not having like a trauma response from from it or if you're not um, sort of having an abusive idea of God shoved down your throat for 20 years. But a similar sort of benefits could be got from going through secular rituals of the singing, the coming together, the contemplation, that sort of stuff. That's where the future is. And that's also, I think, where people such as ourselves or the ex-evangelical community can have quite a big role to play. There's that quote-unquote doing life together. I know it's a bit um, of a cringe statement, but it is also quite a powerful thing. And something I would encourage, and maybe this is a positive call to action, is that if anyone is wanting to do something positive or like regretting all this time that they, you know, people have regrets when they've given so many years of their life to an institution and a lot of it free labor and all this stuff. You kind of feel a bit duped, but sure. There's a couple of people at the top benefiting. That's the same almost anywhere in any institution that you work for, but there's so many skills I think that come from learning how to like listen to people and to, you know, great strangers with kindness and being there in a pinch and it's like you know that's the sort of stuff that that helps alleviate suffering and and there's there's a practice there so the experience is not one that I think is completely lost I don't know 10 years 20 years whatever it's not going to be Hillsong anymore but there'll be something like that that's secular that's just really exploded and I think that is just because religion is answering the reason why it's still around is that there's deep questions that people have about their own personal purpose significance meaning and rationalism secular society hasn't figured out how to deliver that and we're hurting for it as well that is why Nietzsche said that you know god is dead and we have killed him our hands are covered in blood. Like, how will we wash our hands clean? Murderers of all murderers. He was recognising that the death of God isn't necessarily a glorious thing, and anyone who's gone through a personal experience of the death of God will know that. You know, there's moments of triumph, but it's like it, it is a challenge. And then on the societal scale, we've still got a lot of operating systems that rely on that way of thinking, even like a lot of progressive activism these days focuses on the doctrine of original sin as well, which I think is potentially an unpopular opinion that I have, but the focus on things that you can't change about yourself that are the source of your evilness. 
I see a striking similarity with the doctrine of original sin, that you're born sinful and wrong because of insert whatever thing here. And it doesn't speak to the depths of people's souls. And I think that's what we, we need to speak to people's hearts if we're going to overcome some of the big, big, big challenges that are right on the horizon or slash lapping at our doorstep, mm-hmm. whether that's climate, whether that's automation about to decimate manual labor jobs, which is going to leave young men out of work. We have to deal with this deepening division in society as well. Yeah, or we get in our little echo chambers. So The only other thing I think of that you never have to advertise or encourage people is sport. Like you can get 50,000 people to turn up to a stadium without too much encouragement. Hey, I wonder what else. Yeah, well, I suppose it's one of the things I have been talking about is my, and this was on TikTok, I had a couple of videos. I was sharing quite personal stories of um, purity culture. And I suppose that's something that absolutely impacts women more than blokes. But I just don't really see any men talking about it at all. Yeah, I started piping up a little bit to share some of my experiences. Like I, I went to go see a sex therapist to help unpack shame oh, connected with, yeah. you know, the upbringing. And it's like, yeah, if again, if you're a guy listening to this, it's probably a good thing to go see a therapist and talk. They'll just ask you questions, how you're going, and then you should just try to answer as honestly as possible. And, yeah, I mean, purity culture is a nasty, nasty thing, but I think there's lots of really positive stuff happening in that space and on the gram. That's one of my peeves with this is that it's all, kind of centralised on social media as opposed mm-hmm. to places that respect attention, not for endless scrolling. So I approach those all the social platforms with caution. Like I think there's good stuff we can do and good conversations we can have, but it is, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I've, maybe I've said all the things that need saying. Well, then I guess that's us. Thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on here and um, Thank you so much for sharing. For doing what you do. Um, and for doing what you do. Thank you to Reverend Bones for those really interesting different angles that I don't know if we've explored before here. You can find Reverend Bones on Spotify. His music's been described as an energetic indie rock sound that combines flavours of folk, country blues, gospel and grunge. He performs live with the Exvangelicals. You can also find him on Instagram. As he said, feel free to reach out and connect. As you heard, we were chatting at the end about purity culture and I said to him afterwards, you know, we should really, you know, devote an episode to that. So let us know what you think. It's obviously a very big part of the culture, but how it affects people just isn't really being talked about enough. So do send us a message and, yeah, we can we can talk about that stuff a lot more thoroughly because I know it's had a massive impact on generation after generation. You may know that Brian Houston went to court this week and it's been deferred until January of next year. I don't know what it's like for you wherever you are, but COVID has really slowed down our courts and a lot of court matters have been delayed by a year, major trials, that kind of thing. So It's going to be a bit of a process and that'll be interesting in itself. And that's it for us. We'll talk next time. Please keep the feedback coming in, the comments. It's all so interesting and such an important part of these conversations and this big conversation. I'll leave you with some Reverend Bones. The songs from his debut record, Escape from Heaven, are inspired by his personal experience of the death of God and his attempt at making sense of the world anew. Please make sure to join us for next week's conversation. We'll talk then. Here's a little Reverend Bones with Kiss My Neck. The spider dancing with the dove in masks of love And I want your slave to kiss my neck Are you in disguise? 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.